Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for October 30th, 2017. Coming off a good football slate because uh, Matt and I were very high on the Seahawks and they came through, which is nice because I think a lot of people look at their standings when you roster people from a 4 o'clock game and just think, oh, my lineup sucked today. But that's not necessarily the case because if you only play players from the late game and the game isn't started yet, you don't have any points. Other people do have points, and then your players score points, and it works out. So that's how it goes sometimes. And today, the the Seahawks and Texans scored a lot of points, so it was definitely definitely a good result. Great analysis, and, as always, on the on the workings, the inner workings of the DraftKings standings. Yes. Yeah, it's really hard to score points when your players aren't playing. Yeah, I I totally agree. That's the first point <laughs> of this podcast we can definitely agree on. Uh, something to keep in mind tomorrow. If you roster players from the Warriors-Clippers game, none of them are going to score points during the East Coast games. So that is something to think about, and I hope that doesn't impact people's decision on whether to or not roster players from the Warriors-Clippers game. Um, I do think I'm going to roster players from that game regardless of when it starts. But the first game on the slate is the Nuggets at the Knicks, and we had a little bit of a... Uh, bounce back game for Jamal Murray. He was really chalky the other night against the Hawks and just had a dud. He only played 20 minutes. Emmanuel Moutier played decently that game and ended up playing most of the minutes. And then we kind of saw more of a normal situation today where Jamal Murray played really well. Moutier did not play well off the bench. Uh, Jamal Murray had like a plus minus of 35 in his uh, 30 minutes. And then Emmanuel Moutier in his 18 minutes had like a minus 17 plus minus. So we saw more of the minutes go to Murray. I think that's going to happen more often than not this year. Jamal Murray, 5,000. I think that he's a solid play again. But I wouldn't be super high on him on GPPs, even though it's a really good matchup, just because I think he's going to be really high-owned again going against the Knicks tomorrow. Still in play, though. Uh, And then Millsap, I think solid play at 7,000. Uh, Gary Harris, I'm like overall, I think that this is a pretty stackable game. The Denver Nuggets are playing at a slightly faster pace now the last few games than they were the first few games this season. And then from the Knicks side of the game, Tim Hardaway Jr. is still 4,900. I think that he's a strong play. And then we have Porzingis at 8,400. Um, I think that he's fine also. Not really too much interest on the uh, role players from either side of this game, though. The only player I think that you mentioned that I'm really high on is Tim Hardaway, and I think the issue with him was just his ankle, which does seem to be fine, although he tweaked it in that Cavs game tonight, or on Sunday night, but he's still only priced at 4900 so that's just too cheap for him, and in any matchup, Tim Hardaway's usage is going to make him a viable play if he costs below 5000 Murray, like you said, could make some sense, but if he's really high-owned, then maybe not the best GPP play. And I don't think he's necessarily the best the best cash play either because there are games where Moutier has outplayed him and he just hasn't gotten a lot of minutes. Or, But I, I do think that that probably will not happen very often because he is a lot better. So maybe Murray for cash, Hardaway for all formats. But I think the issue for this game overall is that the Nuggets are playing slower this year and we've seen that trend through the start of the season. So I'm a little down on most of the players as a result. Like I don't think it's the best spot for guys like Jokic and Porzingis just because the game might have a lower tempo than most people think. Yeah, I I mean, I do think it's a little encouraging that the Nuggets started the year. They were the third slowest-paced team through the first, um, what was it, 
the first like five games or so, and they've just played so much more up tempo last couple games that they're kind of close to league average now. So we're still looking at just such small sample size that it's hard to figure out. Uh, I would guess that they kind of act, they will end up just as a, an above average pace team this year, but still remains to be seen. The next game on the slate, Spurs at uh, at. At Celtics, this game is just a fade for me. Really low uh, over-under. I'm really surprised that Kyrie Irving hasn't had more usage this year. His usage rating for the Celtics has actually been lower than what it was for the Cavs, which I don't really get. Uh, but tough matchup against the Spurs. LaMarcus well, Aldridge has been ridiculous this year. But just because of the really low pace, low over-under this game and some of the other more high pace spots, this is a fade for me. Yeah, I think the only guy that could be worth considering is Kyrie Irving because maybe we do see that bump in usage that... I guess you could argue is inevitable at some point. He hasn't really been priced down too much. I think he was priced in the mid-8,000s to start the year. Now he's right at 8,000. So I'd consider him, but overall I agree with the sentiment. This game I think would be entirely a fade and then maybe throw Kyrie into a GPP or two and hope that it's a game where he starts taking more shots. But overall it's a it's a pretty bad game, I think, for DFS purposes. So next game on the slate, I like this game a lot. The Minnesota Timberwolves at the Miami Heat. Hassan Whiteside has been ruled out. And also, Minnesota has just been total dog shit on defense this year. They're worst in defensive efficiency by a lot this year. And Carl Anthony Towns, as good as he is on offense, is not a good defensive player at all. I think the last I looked, the Timberwolves had a 118 defensive rating with him on the floor, which is incredibly bad. Like, that would be easily the worst defensive rating in NBA history for any one team. Uh, but still, I think he matches up really well in this game with whoever ends up starting at center for the Heat. They've kind of been alternating different guys. But Carl Anthony Towns at 9,000, I think, is a solid play. Jimmy Butler still only at 7,200. I think that he's a good play again. He went really low on for the last game, which was reasonable coming off the illness. But he played 40 minutes in that game. So there's no reason to think he won't be around 40 minutes again for this night. And then from the Miami side of the game, Goran Dragic at 6,500. I think he's a solid play. I think Waiters at 5,400. I'm not a Waiters fan, but just because of how bad the Timberwolves defense has been this year, I think 5,400 is fine for Waiters. He's averaging, let's see, he's averaging 21 fantasy points for the year. He's three games with 26 or more. So I wouldn't say like a really strong play for Waiters, but I think he's in play. And then also Josh Richardson at 5,100. I really like Josh Richardson a lot. He's had some really big games to start the year. He's already had two games where he scored at least 30 fantasy points. So I think that that's where most of the usage is going to be going for the Miami side of the game. With Hassan Whiteside out, it seems like the Heat players should all be priced up. But I think they've only priced up the big men because those are the ones that would most logically be impacted by Whiteside not being there. So James Johnson is up to 6600 now, too expensive for him. But the Heat are going with more small ball lineups. So I think it, they should be more expensive at the guard positions too, and they're just not. Dragic is actually cheaper than he started the season. So him and Richardson and Waiters, I think those guys all make a ton of sense, but would you put those three together in the same GPP lineup, or do you think there's some negative correlation between those three players at point guard and shooting guard? Yeah, not all three of them. Um, like I, I think that you could use any two of the three, but not all three together. And I think individually all three are fine plays. Um, I do think with James Johnson, if you're doing a game stack, I, I think that he makes sense just because he's the big man who's going to be seeing the most minutes. 
And the other thing, too, is the Heat have had a couple of kind of tough matchups the last couple games. They played against the Spurs and against Boston, so the production was a little bit down in both those games. It was just because they were playing tough defenses. So that's kind of the reason for the drop in price. And, like, everybody played relatively okay in those games. It was just that they're tough matchups, so there was less points scored. So... I mean, Drogic to see him at 6,500 that white side, that's just way too cheap. I really like Drogic a lot. Yeah, this game uh, this game does seem to make a lot of sense for a full game stack. I think Towns and Butler and Jeff Teague are all usable with the Heat. It's a pretty high total at 216. The spread's only 2.5, so it figures to be a close game. It may not be the best spot to go full game stack, but I think it's the one that's the most doable because a couple of the other ones that we'll mention have a lot more expensive players. And I think you actually can get seven or eight guys from this game in the same lineup. So uh, I'll probably be leaning pretty heavily on this one. So the next game uh, is one of those games that should be really high scoring, but has a ton of really expensive players. That is the Sixers at the Rockets. A couple of injury notes. J.J. Redick is questionable with a back injury. If he can't play, then we could see a lot of minutes for T.J. McConnell again. McConnell's at 4,400. He's had a couple of really big games in a row, and he played over 30 minutes with Redick at last game. The other player who should really benefit if Redick has to sit is Dario Sarge started in, in his place last game, and Sarge ended up playing 30 minutes. Uh, he didn't play particularly well, but still, I think Sarge for 4400 he was priced over 8000 as a starter last year. So if he's in the starting lineup, I think there's good value there. Um, Bob Covington gets a little boost if Redick's out. Joel Embiid's been ridiculously consistent this year. He's priced at 8,100, and he has scored in between 38 and 42 fantasy points in every single game. So I think he's cash playable, even though he has the minutes restriction. Ben Simmons is a strong play also. Uh, Just a lot of guys in play from the Sixers side of the game. It's a pace-up game playing the Rockets. And then from the Rockets side of the game, Eric Gordon currently questionable with the illness. I would expect him to play because it didn't seem to be too serious of a sickness. If he can't play... It's uh, it's a boost for Trevor Reza. It is a usage boost for James Harden. They just have nobody else to really handle the ball or make plays without with Gordon out. So Gordon also is in play for me at 6,700 if he's able to play, but that's assuming he has no restrictions. And then Harden at 11,200, I think he's my favorite player to pay up for on the slate. Yeah, there aren't a lot of guys to pay up for, and I think Harden makes a ton of sense for sure, and he makes even more sense without Gordon playing. I think if Eric Gordon does end up sitting, Harden could make 100% of my lineups. Um, One thing that I'm thinking about for ownership is Clint Capella, who was really good in the last game against the Sixers last week, but he didn't play well at all. He got into foul trouble in their most recent game. I think that was against the Hornets when they faced Dwight Howard. So which do you think impacts Capella's ownership more, that he was good against the Sixers or that he struggled more recently than that? I guess, do you think he'll be a high-owned player or not? Yeah, I think people use Capella. I'm off him. The other thing that that also had a really big impact on his first game against the Sixers was Joel Embiid picked up three fouls in the first quarter, and then Capella started immediately doing a ton of damage in that game. He was grabbing all the rebounds. He was scoring really a lot of easy dunks and layups on pick and rolls with Harden. So I'm going to assume that Joel Embiid does not get in foul trouble again and that, and, and that Capella's going to be matched up against him. Or the other thing also is that Nene was out for that game and Nene's expected to play tomorrow. So I'm off Capella for this game. I think I think the Sixers are going to have a really good defense against centers this year as long as Embiid is healthy. 
Well, I do think if you are going to use Capella, you probably should not have him in the same tournament lineup as Embiid because Capella's production is kind of contingent on Embiid being in foul trouble or struggling and not playing a lot of minutes for whatever reason. So I think I would use some of Capella, but it would only be in an Embiid fade. And I definitely like Embiid more as you do. So for the majority of lineups that involve this game, I would go with Embiid. But I think it does make some sense to use Capella in lineups where you stack this game but fade Embiid because... The game script could end up being similar to last time, and then Capella does have a big game because Embiid is in foul trouble. It's not it's not that improbable of a circumstance, and especially so because it just happened. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the Capella will be fairly popular for this slate. I, I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll have like ridiculous ownership just because there's nine games. But I do think people will look at that last game and just say, Oh, I'm using Capella again which I'm not really on board with because it's just different circumstances for this game. Next game on the slate also should be pretty high scoring, the Orlando Magic at the New Orleans Pelicans. So from the Magic side of the game, the Magic also, this is the tail end of a back-to-back for them. They also played on Sunday. Uh, Vucevic at 7,200. I think Vucevic is going to have to play a ton of minutes in this game just to match up with the bigs of uh, Davis and... And Boogie, so I think this is a good Vucevic spot just because they're probably going to need extra minutes out of him. The other thing to watch for is Jonathan Isaac is questionable to play. He wasn't able to play on Sunday due to an illness. With him out, Jonathan Simmons played a ton of minutes. Simmons ended up playing season-high 32 minutes. And what happened was just with Isaac out, there isn't a ton of depth in the front court for the Magic, which is funny because they had a roster that was entirely made up of power forwards last year. And this year they just don't have power forwards. So if Isaac isn't able to play, they're going to have to use more of Jonathan Simmons at the power forward. And I think that that would make some good value for him. And then that's also a slight boost to Anthony Davis, I think, just because that's such a mismatch if he's going to have to be matched up against um, Jonathan Simmons for point of the game. I guess they also just Aaron Gordon will probably end up playing more minutes in that case. But either way, I think... Let's see, Anthony Davis is 11,000, DeMarcus Cousins 11,600. I wouldn't use either of them in cash games, but I do think that Anthony Davis is the stronger GPP play just because he's cheaper, and I generally expect both of them to have about similar production. So we were trying to figure out before we started why there was some line movement to the over for this game, and you suggested that it maybe is due to injuries, but we couldn't really think of any, and now that you've mentioned Jonathan Isaac... I think there it is because uh, the total has gone up and you did mention that without him playing, they're going to have to go small ball with the second unit more. And I think that makes a ton of sense. So that probably is why we're seeing the sharp money towards the over. This line opened at 224. It's now 227 and a half. And I guess that that's just good reinforcement with the logic behind Simmons getting more minutes of power forward. It seems like the sharp money does agree with that, assuming that we are right in that being the reason for it. And I think it probably is because we just cannot think of anything else that would be causing this much line movement to the over. So it makes the game more viable, even with a guy like Simmons who only plays maybe 18 to 24 minutes off the bench. It actually could have a substantial impact on the pace of this game. And I also agree with you on Anthony Davis over Boogie. I would think that Davis is also lower owned than Boogie because Cousins has been really, really good lately. He's done it on, I guess, the big stage against the Kings. I think that was a nationally televised revenge game that they had for him. Uh, So I think more people like Cousins now because he's produced better than Davis when Davis was hurt. And uh, I prefer prefer Anthony Davis for sure. But overall, I think this is a really good stacking spot. Yeah, I don't 
I don't really find it to be a great stacking spot just because Davis and Cousins are both so expensive. Drew Holiday was good last game, except on the whole hasn't been great this year. They're just there aren't players from the New Orleans side of the game that I really want to ro- that I would want to roster other than Davis and Cousins, and it, it would just be hard to roster them together. And then from the Magic side of the game, there's also nobody who I really think is decent value. Well, do you think you could, I guess it would definitely be GPP only, but I think you could go with Davis or Cousins and just hope that one's in foul trouble and the other one has a huge game because there probably will be occasions this year where we do have that. But that also no, yeah, is think, sort of Davis unlikely. I think a good GPP play. I just don't think I'll stack this game. Yeah, that's fair. And I guess we've also mentioned two other games before this where the stacks are cheaper. So, and we're going to get to another one where the stacks maybe aren't cheaper, but there are a lot of good plays there too with the Warriors game. So, yeah, I, th- I think I think I'm swayed actually. Anthony Davis, good spot. Maybe the second best guy to pay up for after James Harden, but maybe it is hard to use a lot of players from this game. So the next two games on the slate, I think are just going to be fades for me. We have the uh, Memphis Grizzlies playing at home against the Charlotte Hornets. That should be a fairly low paced game, and then the Utah Jazz at home against Dallas. Both these games are just fade spots for me. Uh, Memphis and Charlotte, both pretty low-paced teams that are also good on defense. And then Utah-Dallas also, two really low-paced teams. And Utah just hasn't been great to start the season. I have, like, the Rubio-Gobert combination, but it is it, it worked one night. But other than that, Gobert has just not played particularly well this year, and I think he's a little overpriced. I don't know. It's tough for me because that I, I do agree with what you're saying, but it also is a really good matchup, so... The matchup is good in terms of his per, I guess, per possession production, but the matchup isn't good in terms of number of possessions in the game. Like it should be easy to do well against Dallas's front court. So, this could, this could become a fade. Rubio and Gobert have made for some really strong correlation plays, so I wouldn't rule them out for GPPs. But this is going to be a really tough game. So next game we have Toronto at Portland, and let's see. Jonas Valanciunas is still questionable with the ankle injury. If he's able to play, 4900 I think is really cheap for him for his upside. If he isn't able to play, I think Serge Ibaka is a solid play at 5300 And then uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, both under 8000 I think either of them could potentially be rosterable. From the Portland side of the game, Nurkic is 6400 yeah, for GPPs, I think that makes sense. There's upside in Nurkic at 6,400. I just don't think he's a cash-playable guy this year. He's been in foul trouble so often. He's had his minutes limited, either just due to the foul trouble or poor play a couple of times this year. So upside is a GPP play, and I can't see myself using him in cash. I think that's true, and I think I'm still a little scared to use him even in GPPs. But how much do you think he benefits from a matchup advantage with Valanciunas being out compared to Valanciunas being in? I don't even think it really impacts my view of him that much, uh, just because I, I also Ibaka is a really good defender. Yeah, I guess maybe it would it would have more of a trickle down effect where Aminu or Harkless is facing a worse defender. But the Raptors are a really good defensive team overall, anyway, so it probably doesn't matter much. I guess where it would matter is if Valanciunas doesn't play, the pace of the game goes up because the Raptors are playing more of a small ball lineup. So I think I'd be more inclined to stack the game without Valanciunas, but if Valanciunas does play, then I would probably just use him as a value play and not really stack the other spots. Yeah, I 
I don't think it's a, it's a game of, um, I wouldn't want to stack. And the other thing also is individually, I think Lowry and DeRozan are both decent plays, but they do negatively correlate. So I wouldn't use them on the same GPP roster together. Uh, but individually, I think they're both fine with upside under 8,000. Final game on the slate, Golden State Warriors at the LA Clippers. I think every Warriors game is just always stackable. There's always potential for it to be a really high-scoring shootout game. Just the question is which guys are going to do well. I think Draymond Green at 7,300. I think he has upside. That just I think, let's see, what uh, what was Draymond Green priced at for a lot of last year? Yeah, a lot of last year, Draymond Green was uh, kind of like high 7,000s, low 8,000s. Obviously, same team this year. So, Draymond Green at 7,300. I think he's my favorite play from the Golden State side of the game. And then from the Clippers side, um, what was Blake? Blake Griffin is 9,300. So, I think the choice is uh, for that price tier of power forward, it's either Blake Griffin or Ben Simmons. I lean stronger Griffin than Simmons. And then Simmons uh, also figures to have much higher ownership too for GPPs, especially I think Griffin makes for a lot better of a play. Yeah. The other thing too, is if you're going to back this game, like if Blake Griffin doesn't have a good game, this is almost definitely a blowout. There's, there's no other route that Clippers could keep a game competitive against the Warriors other than Griffin playing well. And then I think Danilo Gallinari at 5,900, I think that he could benefit from this matchup. He hasn't been great this year, but he hasn't been terrible either. He scored in between 23 and 31 fantasy points in every game. So no like huge monster games, except he also is shooting 30, uh, 29% from the field so far this year. So when we consider that he's averaging 26 fantasy points per game, and he's only shooting 30% from the field at 5,600, he's going to shoot a higher percentage than that, and I think he has a good amount upside at that price. Yeah, I like Gallo too. Definitely prefer Griffin over Ben Simmons. And I think for a GPP stack, this game is probably doable. Uh, you, it's probably another situation like we've had with Warriors games where you're not going to stack their four best players in Green, Thompson, Curry, Durant. Just, it's too expensive to do that, and we don't really have cheap value plays on the slate anyway. But I think something like two Warriors and two Clippers together as a mini stack of sorts, I think that that's a pretty good strategy. Um, would you use Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan in the same lineup ever, or is there a negative correlation between those two guys? Last year, they were really strongly negatively uh, correlated, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year just because of how uh, the Clippers' offense runs. So last year, um, Chris Paul was really positively correlated with DeAndre Jordan, and I think this year we're going to be seeing something similar with Griffin to Jordan, just because I think that there's going to be a lot of plays where DeAndre Jordan's buckets are going to be assisted by Griffin just because he kind of plays the point-forward role and really facilitates their offense, and Jordan just doesn't create his own shots. My concern with those guys, though, which probably had something to do with it last year, is that Doc Rivers doesn't stagger minutes well, so you're not getting Griffin and Jordan playing without each other that much. They kind of just go to their whole bench at the same time. Not really a well-coached team, but I think that that does hurt them because even if there maybe there are some Blake Griffin to DeAndre Jordan alley-oops or whatever normal passes, but because they're on the court a lot, I guess only one of them can score. So I would say it's probably a neutral correlation. There's just, there's just no correlation, no positive, no negative. 
that seems more likely than them having a positive correlation this year. But I do agree with you that it should be less negative than last year because of the difference in their offense with Chris Paul not being there. Well, the reason I do think that it's going to be slightly positive, DeAndre Jordan, almost none of his fantasy points come from scoring. It's all rebounds and blocks. And I think that Blake Griffin is going to put up pretty big assist numbers this year. Like, I, um, I assume that Griffin will lead the Clippers in assists. Yeah, that probably is fair because they also just don't really have passing players. I mean, Patrick Beverly is a good point guard, but he's not really a point guard. He just he defends point guards well and shoots corner threes. And Austin Rivers plays on the second unit mostly anyway, but he's not a good passer. There's just there's no one to dish the ball at all. So that that does make some sense. I guess Blake Griffin could probably correlate positively with most of the guys on the roster, and especially so for this matchup because everything is kind of contingent on it not being a blowout. And we also, we didn't have a Vegas line when we started talking about this game five minutes ago, but there's one up now. So the Warriors are three and a half point favorites. And the idea that the game might stay closer because of the second night of a back-to-back, I think that that's probably true to some extent. I think the Vegas line reflects that. So with the Clippers only being three and a half point underdogs, I'm not really concerned about a blowout here at all. And what is the point total for that game? I don't actually think they have that up yet. I think they just just, have... just the spread. uh, No, 221. There it is. Okay. Yeah, part of that's because that uh, the Warriors game just ended against the Pistons, so that probably factors into why there's... Although it's weird that they have a spread but no total. Oh, uh, no, they had it. It just it came up. One was 10 seconds before the other. We're really... Uh, we're doing the live update thing again. It just... It was one just a little bit after the other one. Wow, breaking news. So Fun that, as uh, always. That, finishes, that finishes the podcast for this slate. I think we have a smaller slate for Tuesday... I think it's like six games or something like uh, that. Four that games, really actually. So- uh, oh, four games. Oh, yeah, so that'll be that'll probably be a GPP slate, but that'll finish up today. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenbergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We'll be back tomorrow.